Good morning, church. It is great to see you here this morning. We've all made it through the first wave of snow, and we're all not looking forward to the second wave of snow. Uh, to some of you who are um, maybe elderly or struggling, if you had need help with your snow removal, let us know, and um, we have a team of men who are willing and ready to help you. And thank God for those men. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we love you so very much and thank you. Thank you for blessing us and granting to us this opportunity to worship you. Thank you for, for sending Jesus, your great son, who came and lived perfectly. Loved you so very much and he loved us so very much and he still does. Thank you, God, for loving us. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you. Please Help our minds to be fixated and focused on you, that we might bring glory and honor to your name. Bless us in our service, Lord God, to serve you in a pleasing way. Bless us, Lord God, in all that we say, that it will be your oracles. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray these things. Be thy will. Amen. Today, I, I want to talk about a lesson that the title is really an incomplete title. It simply is, it is not about. That's actually the title. It is not about. We won't have a PowerPoint this morning because the snow, no, it had nothing to do with the snow. Uh, Tracy and Judy have both been ill this week. We're glad that uh, Tracy's back with us and pray that Judy be back with us soon. We're very good at judging ourselves, right? We're great at, at thinking about those old things that we've done. Sometimes we reminisce in a, in a negative way, and uh, maybe we get around some old friends and they start talking about some of those things that we used to do as young boys and girls. And as Christians, we don't really want to talk about some of those things. But then that idea of when I think about my past, things I'm least proud of, even things I'm really proud of, the things that I'm least proud of, have I, at this point in my life, let them go? That's the question I want to deal with this morning. You see, because Christianity is not about how good we have been. Thank you, Lord, right? I mean, every Christian should say, thank you, God, because that includes my yesterday. You know that, right? We're not just talking about when I was a teenage boy, but it's not about necessarily what I was yesterday, but it definitely is about what I am today. It's about what I'm doing now for the Lord. I'm starting in Isaiah 64, and I want to start with these, these two gloomy passages, Romans 3 and in Isaiah 64 and verse 6. And the, and the Bible says, uh, for all of us to become like one who is unclean. And all our unrighteous deeds are like filthy, a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. Filthy deeds. And you start thinking about life. And I'm going to Romans chapter 3. And, and the difficulty of life and our struggles in life and our choices we've made and our decisions and our, our thick-headedness and our hard-headedness, and you start going, okay, Lord, I get it. And then you get to Romans 3, 
And you read verses like, like verse 4. It says, may it never be, may uh, rather let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy words, and mightest prevail when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not righteous or unrighteous, is he? I am speaking in human terms. May it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? So God is righteous. And, and, and the, the writer is saying, and, and I'm unrighteous. And then he goes on to say in, in, in verse uh, 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. You start reading this, you go, wait, whoa, whoa. is God including me in that list? Yeah. And then verse 12, all have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is no, not even one. And then you skip down to verse 16. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace have they not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And then you skip down to verse 23, and for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What I want to encourage you this morning to do is to never stop reading. Because if you stop reading, you just read Isaiah 64 and you read Romans 3 and you, and you stop right there, you miss God's point. Yes, he, he puts it all into perspective for us. But in verse 24 it says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, all of sin and come short of the glory of God, but you, we have been justified as a gift. Oh, thank you, God. All right, so God is saying, Look, preacher, you can't do this by yourself. Thank you, Lord. I, I, I can admit that, but I'm going to give you something a gift. L listen to what he said in Romans chapter 4. He's talking about justification. And as he's talking about reconciling and, and all of that, when you get into Romans 4 and you skip over to verse 21, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore also it was reckoned to him, Abraham, as righteousness. Now not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. I'm getting, I'm getting the picture, God. Here's what God is saying to us. Humble yourselves, church. Because you, you and I, we, were all of Romans chapter 3, the beginning. And the only reason that we are justified is because of a gift. None of us in here are perfect. 
See, he wants us to understand and to recognize our true position in relationship to him so that we can understand and magnify the greatness of God. You see what's happening? See, he wants us to understand where we are and who we are so we can truly respect and magnify how great God is. You see it? See, it's not about me. It's actually all about him. Right? See, I thought it was about me. See, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I, and I got my life right, and I want you to look at me. I want you to see me as being better than I am. But the reality is God says, oh, no, preacher. No, 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 preacher. When, when your feathers get ruffled, you're just like everybody else. When, when someone starts irritating you, you're just like everybody else. I want you to understand your gift. Thank you, God. And when you understand the gift, you humble yourself and you learn how, you learn how to take the beating. Right? You learn how to take the disrespect. You learn how, you learn how to say, God, please just let me be in relationship with you. Thank you. You learn this understanding or this idea of a appreciativeness. Thank you so much, God, for loving me. Why did you love me? I don't deserve it. And then I go to Galatians 5, and I, and I start thinking about, well, Lord, you know, look at the fruit of the Spirit. And I start saying, okay, you think about the fruit of the Spirit, and you say, God, here are the things that I'm trying to do. And God says, yes, preacher, that's what I want you to do. But you still need help. Yeah, you ever been, you ever struggled with arrogance? Oh no, Lord, I got this. <laughs> Don't ever say that. <laughs> because here's the problem. The fruit of the Spirit is, is evidence of how much help I need. Because, because the deeds of the flesh, that's kind of where I live. I don't want to live there, Lord. Help me to get out of there. God has to get me out of that, that, that deeds of the flesh so I can stay in the spirit. It's a struggle, isn't it? For all of us. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, you see. See, that's what God was trying to tell us. See, every day I wake up, what's, I'm supposed to be seeking God. Am I seeking God every day? Are you church? I mean, you wake up in the morning and say, okay, Lord, brand new day, please give me an opportunity to do your will, whatever you want, Lord God, not about me. How many of us say that in the morning? No one seeks after God. You see what Romans 3 was trying to tell us? Romans 3 is trying to tell us that we've got we've to change our, our scope of thinking. Our, our minds have to translate or transfer or transform from worldliness and the deeds of the flesh to spirituality. It's not about how great I am, church. It's about how great he is. I got to see that, you see. I've got to step back and say, God, I realize that I'm nothing and you're everything. How many of us believe that? Look at the deeds of the flesh. Uh, he tells us to walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. And, and he starts talking about the deeds of the flesh. And it's all kinds of bad stuff, right? It, what is it? It's sin. It's, it's sin. And when you say, preacher, I can't believe you said you're walking in the deeds of the flesh. Well, what I'm trying to say to you is, admit to you is this. I sin like you. 
I don't want to. I try not to. But I find myself sometimes, the Bible says, I find myself oftentimes being caught in the snare of Satan. Who better to get than you? Right? Oh, all those church members, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. That's why I'm never going to go to church, because they sin too. Yeah, we do sin, because we're not perfect. You see, God wants us to understand our position. The difference is we've been given a gift. We're trying to stay out of sin. Listen to what God does for us with this gift. I'm, I'm carrying the gift one step further. Verse 22, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is, and you go through this list, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit is all of that. It, the fruit of the Spirit is, is God in us. And, and, and what does God do for us? Why is it the fruit of the Spirit? Because it's God's, not mine. Well, think for just a moment about the fruit of the Spirit. You think about love, the very first fruit. Every human being loves something. It might even be themselves, but they love something, right? Every human being loves something. What makes the love of man different from the fruit of the Spirit's love? Because the fruit of the Spirit is sanctified. It's a gift. God looks at that love, and God takes that love that is short because it's a man love, and he transforms it into something great and profound. It's a sanctified, a set-apart work. It's a, it's a blessed love from God and from God alone. I need God's help. I don't know about you, but I need him. It, it's, not about, it's not about how good you are, church. I, I know sometimes we, we look at ourselves and we start asking ourselves, you know, uh, I need to be better, and I need to. I'm not what I used to be, and I, I want to be. I know, I, I get that. I, you know, we all go through. We want to be better every day. We want to be better for Jesus, and and do that every day. Keep working at being better for Jesus. But remember, along the way, it's not about how good you are. It's about how great He is. Every day you give your life to God. Every single day. That's how you get better. Every day you give it to God. Every day you come to God in confession. Every day you repent. Every day you stick with God. Every day. And you're going to fall short. Every single day. Because you're not God. But it's not about whether you're God or not. It's about the fact that He is great. And He is God. Our trust, our confidence has to be in God. Put your life in God. Listen to what He says. Ephesians 2, the great scripture about grace, right? Again, he sets us up. He says, okay, this is what you used to be. Here's where you are, children of wrath, even as the rest. And then down in verse 8, for by grace, it's a gift. You see the gift? For by grace, you have been saved. And that's not of yourselves. It's a gift. You see how great God is? You see how great God is? God is willing to take an imperfect person and make them perfect. You see how great God... It's not about how great you are, church. It's about how great God is. You see it yet? So what does God do? Look at what He does. In verse, in verse 9, 
not as a result of works that, that we should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God did it. God did it. God has done it. Thank you, God, for doing it. Right? And look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2, God starts talking about, again, this idea of working in us to carry out his work. God is working in us to carry out his work. God is working in us to carry... Well, why do you need God working in you to carry out his work? Because you can't do it by yourself. None of us can. Right? See, we make life hard. We think, oh, well, I've got to be this. Well, be the best you can. Do what you're supposed to do, but realize that you're not going to be perfect, but strive for it, right? The bar is high. Strive for it, but don't, don't beat yourself up. Learn how to forgive yourself when you fall short. You ever missed an opportunity when someone comes to you and they start talking about God or something and you don't jump in there and you want to, but you just didn't have the strength? Something happened and you didn't chime in and you were like, oh, I missed it. Oh, Lord, please Lord, I'm sorry I didn't do that. Then when when you make it right with God, let it go. Can you let it go, church? Philippians 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your soul salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is, why is God working in me? Why is God doing that? Because it's not about, it's not about me. It's not about the number of past mistakes that you've made. It's not about that. Now, the preacher isn't saying, hey, go live a life of sin. Well, now, obviously, you're not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not gaining that from this, this lesson. It's not about, though, the past mistakes that you've made. It's about what you do now that you are alive in Jesus. Right? This morning you realize that you're alive not because you did great things but because of how great God is. God took the dead man and made him alive. You're alive because of God. You're, you're alive because of Jesus. Thank you God. It's not about how many mistakes you've made. It's not about looking backwards into your past. It's, it's, not, it's not about that, right? Uh, Luke chapter, chapter 9, when Jesus was, was speaking, and he starts talking about looking to the past, and, and Jesus makes it clear, I don't want you looking in the past when you're trying to serve me. You can't do it. Think about Paul. Do you believe that Paul could have even been an apostle if he always hung on to the past? Jesus woke him up on the road to Damascus and said, why thou persecuting thou me? Why are you persecuting me, Paul? And then, you know, Saul wakes up and realizes he's persecuting Jesus and says, oh, now my life's over, right? I persecuted Jesus, and so now there's nothing else I can do. Because look at my past. Some folks will never walk back through the doors of the church building because of their past, right? Maybe they've done something that's so terrible and, and, and so horrible in the eyes of man, right? It was a sin, the big sin, whatever the big sin is. And they won't walk back through the doors because they're so ashamed. Because they're holding on to stuff they can't let go of. You need to learn how to let go of stuff. Right? We have to learn how to let it go because God told us to. Luke 9, Jesus says in verse 62, 
No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's an impossibility, church. It's an impossibility. I mean, the lines are going to be crooked. It just isn't going to work. It doesn't work. It, it just doesn't work. It, it never will. It, it never has. It just cannot work. So what does God ask us to do? Uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. It, it is just, it is not about looking back to my past and holding on to the things that have held me down. You know, right? Some folks, some folks, sometimes life is, is, is geared to try to hold us, to hold us down. Something we have to learn how to do is to no longer hold ourselves accountable for the things that God has forgiven us of. Right? Got to learn how to let go and turn stuff loose. If you turn it loose, you'll find freedom. Freedom's only in Jesus. And Jesus says in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, there's the heroes of faith in chapter 11, and then those heroes are transformed, if you will, in our own minds, into this, into this, we're in this arena, and in this arena, there's this, this great cloud of witnesses, and the great cloud of witnesses are the heroes of faith, and they're cheering us on, and they're saying, keep going, you got this, right? That's the, the gist of what's being said. And listen to what he says in verse 1, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us, let us lay aside every, every encumbrance. You, you put that stuff down, right? Lay, lay aside every, every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us or besets us. The, I think the New King James uh, reads, that which entangles us. You ever been wrapped up in the same stuff? You know, you ever been there in your life? You're like, ah, I don't know. I just get, I'm right back here again. <laughs> I'm just right back in the same stuff again. And God says, you, you have to learn how to let, let stuff go, right? Sin won't turn you loose. You got to let it go. <laughs> you, you have to push it away from, it's like your plate, you know, your dinner plate in front of you. It, it's going to stay there as long as you let it stay. You got to remove it from you, right? Sin's the same way. You, you have to remove the sin from your lives. But look, it's not about how well you do it, but it is about how soon you give it to Jesus. Right? Give, it, give it to God. Give, give God the stuff that just keeps entangling me. My, we might call them my weaknesses. Someone else might call them my vices. The things I struggle with, the things I'm tempted with. James says I'm tempted from my own desires and my own lust. It's the stuff that's inside of me. Jesus says, I want you to take all that stuff and give it to me. Let me take care of that for you. Lay aside the sin that so easily entangles you, that which besets you, that which is holding you back, and, and run with endurance the race that is set before you. I want you to do this, but you can't do it if you're holding on to your sins. We have to learn how to let those things go. Philippians chapter 3. I don't think you can read Hebrews 12 without reading Philippians chapter 3. I think the connection is, is strong for us. It's not, about the, it's not about the number of past mistakes I, I've made. And it's not about how good I think I am. I'm not, I mean, I, you see the humility is this. I'm not good at all. Romans 3 told me that. Do you believe that? Anyone believe that? I want to ask you to show your hands. Anyone believe you're not good? I mean, Jesus himself says, call no man good. I got to go with Jesus, right? I'm not good. I want to be, but I'm not. How about you? And see, I, I realize the gift. Thank you, God. When God looks down and sees the blood of Jesus, he makes me into what I'm not. 
And I'm not, but he says I am, so therefore I am. <laughs> Thank you, God. You see how great God is? It's not about me, church. If it's about me, I've got to listen to Jesus. And Jesus says, your deeds are no good, preacher. You're no good, preacher. But with Jesus, you're everything. What? How is that possible? In the eyes of God, through the blood of Jesus. Jesus qualifies us. Right? He qualifies us. That's why we can walk as God's children with our heads held high. Because truly, we have been freed from something. From sin. We've been freed from, from being captives of Satan. Thank you, Jesus. You see how great God is? It's just not about, it's just not about me. Preachers, I know people say, well, you know, we, we don't like to hear that. Well, but it's the truth. <laughs> it's the truth. Philippians 3, verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what, you see what Paul had to do? What, what lies ahead? I, I, I can't hold on to all, I can't hold on to that stuff back there. I got to hold on to Jesus. And if I hold on to Jesus, church, here's what we know. Everything's going to be all right. It, it might be different because of trials and situations in our lives, but it's always going to be all right. You got to believe that. And in verse 14, it says, I press on toward the goal for the upward prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm pressing on for this, this goal. I got to have this goal, and my goal is Jesus. Is that, is that fanatical? You ever heard people say that? You know, you, you, all you think about is Jesus, and you just want to be with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that may be fanatical, but I think that's the right way to go. What do you think? Let, let, me, let me talk to you about a man real quick, and we'll begin to wrap this whole thing up. See, I, I love the fact that God has not made it about me. Because if he, if he makes it about me, then I have to stand before God. And when I stand before God, I've got to stand without Jesus. I don't want to ever be there. I can't stand before God. Right? I, I, how could we do that? There was a man who walked ahead of God for a moment. He knew God. Knew God well. God spoke to him. Spoke, literally spoke to him and talked to him and blessed him. God blessed him and blessed him and blessed him. And, and, and then the man did something. The man made life about himself. And, and when he did that, his whole life fell apart. Right? And that, is that kind of what happens, you think, today as well? Exactly, right? It's what happens. He made life all about, and this was God's man, by the way. He was, he was a godly man. And, and, but for a moment, he got sidetracked and made it all about him. It, it's, it's not about that. It's not about making life about, about me. Church, this morning, God has given us a gift. And the gift is, is so precious. I'm going to 1 Kings chapter 11. It's so precious. It's so amazing to think about what God has done. The transformation, the transforming power of God, the blessing of God, the gift of God, the kindness of God, the gentleness of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God. When I think about all of that, I'm like, wow, God, thank you. But it's hard to thank God for what he's done if I don't truly believe he's done it. Because I start thinking I'm good enough. I'm not. 
So Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 11, made life all about him, didn't he? And he failed miserably. All that wisdom should have told him, don't do it. <laughs> but he defied wisdom, didn't he? He went against what he knew to be right. Let's just read for just a moment, beginning at verse 1. Now, King, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with uh, the daughters of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord has said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, neither shall they associate with you, for you will surely turn your, they will surely turn your heart away after their God. Solomon held fast to these in love. You ever said, God doesn't know what he's talking about. I can have as many worldly friends as I want to and I'll be just fine. You ever said that before? He did too. <laughs> Listen to what he, it, all, it goes on to say. And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, in the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molag, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Twice? And he still turned away? Solomon is not about you. But here's what's, what's beautiful. I want to go to Ecclesiastes for just a moment. I wanted to go to Solomon because Solomon is a great and a beautiful display of, of learning uh, the, the idea of it's not about my past mistakes. Right? Thank God that God is not about that. It's about turning your life around to Jesus, giving it all to God. Ecclesiastes 2, Solomon himself says, verse 8, Also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces I provided for myself, male and female singers, and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who uh, preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. And all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward. For all my labor. You hear, you hear the my, my, my. Look at me, me, me. I, I, I. He's in trouble. Thus I considered all my activities which my hand had done. And the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was no profit under the sun. He really blew it when he made it about himself. But thank you, God, that he was able to wake up. And it was no longer about, it wasn't about that stuff that he did. 
he came to this conclusion in, in chapter 12 and in verse 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Here's a man who did everything you can imagine. And he says, I'm going to say something, church. It's not worth it. Sin is not worth it. Living a life of me is not worth it. Living a life of selfishness is not worth it. The conclusion, when all has been said, is fear God and keep his commandments. For this applies to every person. Because here's what God's going to do. God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. But thank you, God. I'm closing here. Give me three scriptures and we'll go. First John, first John chapter, chapter 5. Isn't it beautiful that it's not about Solomon's past mistakes? God forgave Solomon because Solomon made it right with God. Solomon recognized who he was by himself. And he turned his life to God. And God took care of him. God rewarded him. In verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. This morning, the question that I ask you is, how is your faith? How is your faith? Where is your faith? And who is the one, verse 5, who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, when you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you, you start living for him because you, you want to do something about it. And the one thing we can do about it continuously is stay in prayer and stay focused in our, in our prayer. In 1 John 1, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and uh, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and right. Do you believe that? How's your faith? If you confess your sins, God, it's, it's not about me. It, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no sin, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. How's your faith? This morning, do you have, do you have, do you have something in your life you need to make right with God? Maybe even with someone else, right? But, but with God first. Is there something in your life that you've got to make right with God? Don't make it about you. No, because it, be it won't be about you if you give it to God. It, it, then it's not about what you've done in the past because God will take all those sins. Who came up with the idea of big sin and little sin? He'll wash them all away. Sin is sin. The wages of sin is death. I'm closing in Romans chapter 5. God has made something happen that is so incredible. It's, un, it's almost, you know, the, the Romans didn't believe it and, and, and so many other folks still struggle with it. The fact that God could, could take all of my sins, an undeserving man, and wash them away. That God loves me that much. There's a guy, I remember, uh, who said, there's no way God could forgive me for all the things I've done. 
So what have you done? I bet you I can show it to you in the Bible. He says, no, this, I've done a lot of, okay, I'm not asking you, don't, you don't need to confess to me, but God is able. And he didn't believe that. He never surrendered to God. Because he said, I'll never be forgiven. I cannot be forgiven. It's not about, it's not about, it's not about that, sir. It's about how great God is. And what God has done for us, if you are today, you're not a member of the church, we encourage you to surrender to God in the waters of baptism. God, when we go down to the watery grave, He washes all the sin, all the sins away and gives us a gift. The gift of forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you're made one with God forevermore. You just come on and stay with God. There's no such thing as once saved, always saved. You've got to stay with Him. But God is with you. you just got to stay with Him. In verse 6 of Romans 5, here's what I had to admit. That I was helpless, church. How about you? I'm still helpless. We don't even like to think about that, do we? I'm helpless. I can't forgive myself. I, I, I don't have the ability, nor the power, nor the authority to say, Tony, your sins are forgiven. Only God has that. See, it's not about me. Thank you, God, that it's not about me. It's about how great God is. While I was still helpless, while you were helpless, stuck in your sin. Maybe there's someone out there today who's stuck in that sin. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For what would hardly die for a good man or a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man would someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, toward you. And that while I was stuck, right, while I was in my sins, while I was a sinner, and even, even today when I find myself stuck, God is able to rescue me. Verse 8 says, but, by, but God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that blood continually cleanses us. It's, it's not about what I've done, church, in the past because God is bigger than what I've done. But when, I, when I'm an alien sinner and I come to Jesus and I surrender to the waters of baptism, God, washed, God never remembers that. And when I'm a child of God and I find myself sinning and I repent of my sin, and I confess my faults, God washes that away. It's no longer about that. It's about this guy over here. It's about what God has made you, what God has made me. This morning, the lesson is yours. If in some way we can help, please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come?